Thanks, Matt. Jacinda, it's great to be with you guys. And uh, nice to know there are a few South Africans out here as well, hey? Goeiemorgen, jylle. Hoe gaan dit vandag? Jy Afrikaans out there? Molo, Molweni, Kunjani wena? Anyway, I'm sure some of you like to hear some of the old African dialects, hey? You say, say you can take a man out of Africa, but you can't take Africa out of the man, hey? Well, we are very grateful for the welcome we've received you in this island state. You do feel like a bunch of islanders to me, I must be honest, <laughs> surrounded by water. Um, so it's lovely for Colin and I, our first time down, down here in, I said down, I don't know if this is down or up, but uh, across <laughs> the other side of the world. And uh, for Colin and I, it's the first time we've been out here, so it's been wonderful. We spend most of our time up in the northern areas, uh, in, in Africa, all over Africa, different, about 18 or 20 countries, we're helping to plant vineyards. And then up in the, in the Nordic countries as well, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, around there, we've been assisting some places up there as well. So it's really great to be here. Uh, Colleen, why don't you just stand for a moment? I don't know if you even know who Colleen, who Colleen is, so just stand for a moment. This is Colleen, my amazing wife. Thank you, Carl. And uh, we have four children, three sons and a daughter. They're all married. Um, and they're living in South Africa, which is a great blessing. We have many families who are living globally. And so this is a blessing to us to have them back there, two in Cape Town and two in Port Elizabeth, where we live. Um, we've been part of, uh, let me put it this way, I was in, am I speaking too fast? We like to redeem the time, you know, so that uh, um, we, we, uh, we were in Methodist ministry for about nine years until they asked me to leave because they didn't want to baptize babies. It was a very simple thing. So we left and we planted Fountain Vineyard 35 years ago and we've been there ever since. So that's where we are. It's in Port Elizabeth and it's become a bit of a base, a resource church where we train and release, train and release and uh, plant churches from there. And uh, so we send teams out all over the place. That's ongoingly. And there's an invitation. Anyone who'd like to come visit us, you're welcome, eh? Our kids are all gone. We've got this huge house and there's plenty of bedrooms. So come out and visit us. You're welcome. I'd like to take you on safari, which is our favorite activity up in Namibia and Botswana. And the Edo Elephant Park is right near us as well. So we're very uh, grateful to God for the life we're able to live out there, in spite of all the challenges we have in our nation as well. And uh, some of you will know some of that as well. One of our challenges uh, is to keep supplying uh, Good, healthy people from New Zealand, it seems like. <laughs> so some of our best have come over to you. And so we keep trying to breed up more and release them to you. Uh, pray for us, will you? <laughs> With our brain drain and everything else that's happening, as we need to keep succession uppermost in our minds. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, just a, a couple of words from the Lord Brother, you've got the glasses on in front of you. Why don't you just stand for a moment? Yeah, I, I don't know you at all, but I just felt like the Lord said to me earlier on as I saw you walking in that um, <clears throat> you've had dreams and you've had preparation for those dreams. And the Lord is saying to you, the time has come. And there's something you've been wondering about. The Lord wants to release you with a fresh confidence to say yes to what he's, he's leading you into. And the things you've longed for are about to birth. And he wants you to to welcome that with open arms and to take on the risk and the courage it's going to require because God is with you and he's in it with you and he's planning to fulfill all that is seated in your heart over this time. So some of you standing around him, why don't you just pray for him right there? If you're seated around him, just reach out and pray for him. I don't know. Lord, we just pray for our brother. Bless him as he just lays hold of what you might be saying to him. 
and he walks in the fullness of it. We pray, Lord, that uh, everything that you intended for him would come to, to birth, and uh, he would be all that you've called him to be, and that many others would be blessed because of his obedience and his faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Maybe the Lord's going to have other words for us just now. Uh, is this a good vintage? Can I drink it? Is this water turning to wine? <laughs> Dude, down here. I've got some strange miracles down in New Zealand, eh? <clears throat> yeah. Well, you know, uh, the last word that was, uh, was spoken before I came up here really essentially in terms of the gospel was Matt was sharing about the communion and Easter. And uh, let me just tie this thing up better. And uh, I love that message, Matt. It's such a core message because one of the things that strikes me about that message, the jubilee. You heard the word jubilee. It's God's economic plan for Israel. Every 50 years they were to release slaves, return land to the original owners, um, give rest. It was just an amazing uh, economic restoration and uh, spiritual restoration as well, but it was instituted on the Day of Atonement, which is what we just celebrated in the, in the Easter event of communion. On the Day of Atonement would be the, the launch of the Jubilee. And it's interesting that uh, when Jesus opened his public ministry, he read from Isaiah 61, and you read of this in Luke 4, uh, his first public appearance in terms of a ministry, and he read from this and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, for he has anointed me to bring Freedom to prisoners, eh? He went on and expounded on that. But freedom, freedom. And uh, then he said, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it was a, Isaiah 61 is a pro prophetic fulfillment. Um, and Jesus claimed it for himself of the Jubilee. It's described in Leviticus 25. And Jesus says, I am the fulfillment of the Jubilee. I am the Jubilee on legs. Where I go, the Jubilee comes. And, and so when he died and he, on the cross, he said, it is finished. All that was required has been accomplished and freedom is now available. You can all come. And that's this amazing thing. And 50 days later, we have the outpouring of the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, which is one of the most amazing life-giving messages the vineyard has ever been able to embrace. And, and that's why we keep praying, come Holy Spirit, and more Holy Spirit. We want to be a people where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's liberty, there's jubilee, there's freedom. We want to be living in the, in the good of that. So uh, I think a lot about those things. That they, Jesus uh, is, is, is our freedom. Hey? He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone who comes to me, if you come to the Father, I'm the only way. I'm the only way to the Father. And you'll know the truth. The truth will make you free. It's all about that. And, and, he's, and he's calling us to, to a relation with the Father. Uh, and I often think of it... Um, how many married people in the, in the house here today? How many, how many married people? Can you remember the day when you, you proposed? Eh? I don't know whether she proposed or he proposed. I'm not too sure how it works down here in New Zealand. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in the, and, and, and he went down on his knees. Eh? Is that what he did? Yeah. <laughs> he didn't do that? <laughs> okay. And Jesus went, and he, and he went on the cross, and it was his proposal to us, eh? On the cross, he says, this is how much I love you. you know, I remember when I proposed to Colleen in the Newlands Forest in Cape Town, the slopes of Table Mountain, and, and I said, this is how much I love you. And Jesus was doing the same at Calvary. And, 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 uh, and, she, and I said, would you share your life with me? And Jesus is saying, would you, would you allow me to come into your life? And, uh, and then uh, 
you know, when you get engaged, there's a, a little thing about a ring and, and some special, special stones, diamonds, whatever. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. He will be the engagement ring. And, and he will assure you of my heart for you and my intention and my plan. He'll make the dreams known to you. For Joel says that the, when the Spirit comes, the old men dream dreams, the young men see visions. And uh, we, be, we dream dreams in engagement. And we're engaged. The Holy Spirit is, is a, the, the guarantee, the, the deposit of what is to come in fullness in heaven one day. Isn't that an amazing little picture? Huh? So congratulations on your engagement. Huh? You're all engaged. Tell your neighbor, you're engaged. Isn't it wonderful? <clears throat> but sit that against the backdrop. You guys make me go dry in the mouth. Yes. Um, against the backdrop of the last statement in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4. Malachi 4. And then God doesn't speak again for a while. But in Malachi 4, Malachi says, this is what God's heart is. To restore the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers. Restoration of the father heart of God. And isn't that what the Spirit comes to do? To teach us to say, Abba, Father. To lead us back into that place of knowing Him. Because we'll only find our security in His presence. And <clears throat> without knowing His presence, we, we're never going to really have that freedom. And um, the knowing God as Father is the most crucial message we could ever need and access in our lives. I don't think there's anything more precious than knowing the Father out of God. And you know, when we have leaders that walk with fatherly rather than kingly leadership style, that really helps us to know God as Father. Because what leaders are, the people will become. We were just talking about that in the car, Matt and I driving up here. And uh, we need leadership that leads us as fathers, not like kings. And the difference would be that fathers delight in the success and the multiplication of their sons, whereas kings are threatened by the uh, success of their subjects in case they are displaced. Whereas fathers want to be displaced, I say to my sons, take all that I've got and go beyond me if you, if you can, if you dare, you know. Um, and uh, when I think about that, I, I, I think of a trip, Colleen and I were, in our early years, we just had two kids at that time. Um, we were driving to, to Cape Town from Port Elizabeth down the, some of you remember, the Garden Route. Anybody familiar with the Garden Route? All right, so we live in the Sunshine Coast, one end of the Garden Route, we're driving down, and as you come cl close to Cape Town, you come over Sir Lowry's Pass, you remember that? Sir Lowry's Pass, and you overlook the Cape Flats, Tabu, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, and uh, as we got out of the car, there's a viewing spot there just to stretch our legs before we did the last hour into Cape Town, and um, Jason, our eldest, uh, took his little brother Luke, who was only, I guess, 20 months or something like that, under two. And he was holding his hand while Colleen and I were just looking at the view and enjoying it. And a few moments later, I heard Jason shouting, Daddy, Daddy, um, the baboons have got Luke. <laughs> There's a lot of wild baboons around there. And, and you know, you've got to just be a bit wary of them and keep your car closed. But we were a bit relaxed. And so we, uh, Jason took his son for a walk and the baboons snatched him and took off down the mountain with Luke. And um, when I heard that, the father heart in me just erupted, and, and I exploded at the baboons, took off straight over the little embankment after the baboon. The baboon got such a fright, he dropped that child before he became baboon dinner or baboon son. I don't know which, uh, whichever the plan was, and, uh, he, and, 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 I, and I took him back. And I think today still the baboon's talking about the story up in the mountains there somewhere. <laughs> uh, the terror of a father enraged, you know. Uh, <laughs> 
But I think of that because I think that this is what the Father is doing for us. You know, Daddy, Daddy, the demonic has captured, captured my people. And the Father's heart is saying, enough. It is finished. And he sends Jesus to, to the rescue. And, and he's bringing us back into a fresh place. And I, uh, I just think it's an amazing love God has for us that we need to live in the good of that. Hey? Um, and you know, when we don't, we live badly. Our lives are broken. Um, in Luke 8, there's a story of Jesus coming to Galilee and crossing over to the other side and, and preaching a really great message. And uh, as, he, as he gets out of the boat, uh, he's met by this wild guy. Um, you can read the story in Luke 8. And um, this man is demonized. He's, he's antisocial. They don't know what to do with him. They chain him up. They ostracize him. And he's set aside. And don't, don't you know, in Africa, we have the word Ubuntu. Some of you might know that word. A person is a person through other people. The word is made famous, amongst others, by Nelson Mandela. He talked about that, that uh, uh, you know, he, he could not be free while his others were all in bondage. And, and our freedom and our bondages flow together. We're, we're together in this thing, Ubuntu. And um, this guy was set aside, and, and the pain of rejection was compounding his, his soul torment. And a very tormented man. And, uh, and then Jesus confronted the demonic in this man's life. Remember the story how the demons pleaded with Jesus to... Uh, not to send them into the abyss, but to send them into the pigs. And of course, um, pig farmers in Israel were not very popular, so <laughs> you can imagine why. And uh, the pigs ran off over the cliff, and the man was delivered, amazingly delivered. And, uh, and then he is described as, after the deliverance, as being seated, clothed, and in his right mind. Isn't that a picture of our salvation? Seated. One of the first things you discover when Jesus becomes your Lord is that you can live restfully. The jubilee, the sabbatical lifestyle of God comes upon you. You can be restful, no longer striving, no longer performing, no longer having to prove yourself. You, you, just, you know you're accepted in the beloved. Great Swiss theologian used to talk about salvation as accepting that you're accepted. That's all it is. And the restfulness that comes on us. And, and that merry thing that you can sit and receive rather than Martha run around, run around in worry and, and, and busyness and performance orientation. Um, and so the guy is seated, he's clothed, he's given back dignity and identity. Huh? Um, and there's something about that in our salvation. Huh? We, we, uh, we take on a new sense of esteem. Because now we are the sons and daughters of the king. We are princes and princesses. We, we are clothed. Our, our vulnerability is, is uh, secured in Him. Uh, we, we're no longer um, at risk because we, in Him we are secure, we are safe, we are clothed, and we are seated, and we are clothed. It's important for us to understand our identity in Christ. Uh, I have a young associate who was with me for nine years, coming from a very broken history, and spent nine years in, 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 in healing and restoration, and is now leading a church up in Europe. Um, and uh, his greatest discovery was, as he says to me, the part of his salvation that he appreciated the most to this day is his, the identity he now has. Coming from the fragmented South African society where he was of, of, a, of a despised ethnicity and, and coming into a, a place of, of fresh identity as a child of God, as a man of God, regardless of ethnicity. It's put him in a place now where he's leading a multi, multinational, multicultural church in, 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 in Europe. Um, 
And identity was his most precious gift, that part of his salvation, clothes. Eh? And then, of course, in his right mind. And I always think about that as, um, you know, sin, sin makes you mad. Eh? Sin, sin is insanity. Remember the prodigal son in Luke 15? You remember when he came to his senses? In other words, to live loosely and land up in pigland, you must have taken leave of your senses. So whenever you sin and compromise, you're dabbling with insanity. It's madness to sin, whatever the sin might be. Might, you might just think it's such a small thing. Well, it's a small step towards insanity. Any compromise with the righteousness of God leads you down a road. Which if you pursue it, will take you into insanity. So this, this guy is, is, and insanity also isolates you from others. It's hard to relate to a mad person. And, and it's hard to relate to an angry person. Because anger and unresolved anger and unresolved anxieties, unresolved guilts and shames, all these things are, are gateways to madness. We, we don't live well, and we don't live relationally well when we allow these things to, to continue to be in our lives. Like this guy, you could say, was part of his, his legions of demons that was in his life. So it's no wonder when Jesus says, amongst the last things he said to his disciples, and you read in Mark 16, verse 17, these signs will follow those who believe in my name. They, and the first thing he says, they'll cast out demons. I want to just talk for a few moments this morning about uh, deliverance. I don't know if you have any demons here in New Zealand. Are there any demons here? Yeah. I don't know if you're confronted with the, the challenge of, of deliverance ministry. I want to just say right up front, in, in the vineyard, we, we believe this. We all get to play. There's, we don't need to have specialities. And every single believer uh, who is saved by the blood of Jesus and filled by the Spirit is able, has, a, has authority to cast out the demonic. This is not for specialist practitioners. This is for you and for me, every one of us. So we need to just wise up on how that actually works for us and, <clears throat> and why people need deliverance. And so let's just, let's just dig in that classically in, in the um, in this panorama of, of uh, Christian ministries and churches, we, we have three styles of deliverance. And I'd like to just touch them very quickly. If you come from a Pentecostal background, that'll be the first style. A Pentecostal approach to deliverance, where you, you cast the demonic out with a loud voice, authoritatively, prayerfully, and the dem and demonic leaves. And you'll name it, and you'll take authority over it, and it'll leave. And we believe that, and we, we see that happening. Huh? That does happen, and people are set free. But what we often find is that seven worse than the first come back in. So people who, who only have that one form of deliverance often find it difficult to sustain their deliverance. So we need to add the other two into the mix to have a sustained freedom, right? So <clears throat> let's imagine the, deliver the deliverance needed is like a kitchen that's infested with do you have cockroaches here in New Zealand? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> not every nation seems to have cockroaches, but you've got them here. So your kitchen, not, okay, it's not your kitchen, it's your neighbor's kitchen. This is the, <laughs> your neighbor's kitchen has got this cockroach infestation, and you want to know what to do with it. So you can stand and you can shout to the cockroaches, and they will leave because you're bigger than them. Huh? They're going to leave. You can, do, you can do the Pentecostal thing and deliver the kitchen from cockroaches. Or you can turn on the lights. And the cockroaches will run to darkness because that's what they do. They run to darkness. So turning on the lights would be the evangelical approach to deliverance where you teach things. You teach on forgiveness, for example. Then the bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness and guilt and shame falls away because you're teaching how to work with forgiveness. 
And so you're turning on the lights of forgiveness. I mean, think about it. It's been said that if, you know, if I'm mad at you, and I'd, stupidity is to drink, for me to drink poison, hoping that you will suffer. And that's what our bitterness and our unforgiveness often brings us to do, thinking that we can harm others by, um, by withholding forgiveness. Actually, we're harming ourselves. Eh? You can get psychosomatically sick from, uh, from holding on to things that you should be letting go of. Um, so when we teach on marriage, for instance, the, the demonic of confusion in our marriages and our sexuality, and when you teach on anything that, that helps people discover the lifestyle of God, uh, you actually are turning on the lights and delivering them from the evil that would otherwise encapsulate them. Even when you turn on the lights of the kingdom culture that challenges our ethnic cultures. As much as we want to celebrate our diversities, and South Africa comes from a land of huge diversities, ongoingly so, linguistically and culturally in every way. I've got a friend in our church, some of you know, African Shlopi, he's written a couple of books, but one of them was freed by God but imprisoned by culture. We need to let the culture of the kingdom challenge and filter all our national and ethnic cultures. Because, you know, we can be captive to those cultures. We can be held captive and, and, and uh, disadvantaged from all the full freedom that God wants us to have just because we, we're stuck with that. And, and so turning on the lights, on money management, for instance, people discover that debt is a bad thing. They didn't realize that. But when you turn on the lights about biblical principle for money management and, and integrity, um, People are set free, financially free as well. So there are many, many applications of the evangelical approach to deliverance. The third approach would be what I'd call the um, pastoral approach, pastoral approach, where you go to the roots, and in the cockroach kitchen issue, it's like, let's clean the kitchen. Let's destroy the habitat on which the, the cockroaches are feeding and make it unnecessary or impossible for them to stay alive in this kitchen because there's not a crumb for a cockroach to feed on. So for us, that has to do with dealing with the root issues that uh, under, undergird and, and nourish the, the broken things in our lives. When we, when we uh, have come through an abuse background or we've had an injustice happen to us, something evil, destructive has happened, there's a, there's a memory imprint that's taken place in our, in our experience, in our history, and, and these things uh, continue to be like a, a pantry, a habitat of evil on which uh, the demonic can feed and keep us trapped. So with that said, uh, the application of that um, in our lives uh, takes on a number of different expressions. And let's just look at that for a moment. I, I think the, the one I want to really just deal with, um, let's just look at the, the life of David. David was this man who, uh, I just love his story. I, I've um, dug deep into David's life and I'm amazed at this, this young man um, knew what it was to, 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 uh, to know God as his father, as his life source. In, in, in Psalm 23, he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He provides for me. And these are the things that fathers do, providing. Hey? He provides for me. When I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. He, he protects me. And uh, then he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I have a destiny. I have a purpose to fulfill. And goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And, and David uh, was being refathered by God. But why was it necessary? Well, let's just take a step back. David, um, David was a, uh, a man who had a, who, whose father was Jesse, but he had two sisters whose father was Nahash. And uh, if they came from different fathers, they must, and they were brother and sister, they must have had a common mother. 
And it appears that, that uh, uh, and a number of biblical scholars indicate this, as I interpret certain references in Scripture, that Zeruiah and Abigail, David's sisters, were born to a woman who had had an affair with Jesse. So David was a son of adultery, if that's correctly understood. He was a son of adultery, and therefore the shame of the family. When Samuel came to, uh, in a time in Israel's history where they're frustrated with Saul's leadership, and he asked Jesse, bring your boys. And they lined up the seven hawks. And, uh, and Samuel took one look at the slot and said, it's not one of these. Because God's, God's not looking at the outward appearance. He's looking at the heart. Haven't you got any more? And then Jesse rather shamefacedly said, here's one more. We've, we hide him away in the back of the farm. He looks after the sheep. And they, and they sent for him and brought him. And David was the, the chosen one. And it's, it's as if David, <clears throat> David understood uh, the need to be fathered by God and find security in God because he wasn't getting it in the natural. In the natural, he was living from a rejected, shame-based place. And, uh, and David allowed God to refather him. And the Psalms are probably his soul journaling of his, his exploration of what it means to be truly delivered from this history that uh, he was born into. Um, and, and David coming into a fresh place, you read some places in Scripture in um, Psalm 22, from birth I was cast upon you, from my mother's womb, you have been my God. And you remember Psalm 51, after the Bathsheba fall. And it's interesting that if you don't deal sufficiently with the brokenness in your life, it uh, may well resurface in another generation or two or three. And comes down the line. As it was in my case, my dad was a, uh, uh, was, was a Methodist minister also who committed suicide. Um, and I discovered as I processed all the challenges of that, because we were very close to each other at the time, a very tragic uh, event in our lives. Um, I, there were four generations who'd all suffered a, a, a rejection or a, an abandonment by a mother in infancy through divorce or death or something, and going right back into our Danish ancestry. And, uh, and, and my dad, each of the forefathers had tried to deal with their pain in different ways, he he took his pain to the ministry, hoping that if he could spend his life healing the wounds of others, maybe his own wounds would go away. Well, they didn't. And after a full day of ministry, he, he went out and, and killed himself that night. And the next day when I found, with the help of a search plane and whatever, we located him. And, and God built so many life lessons into me that has completely, radically changed the way that I, I do life and do ministry as a result of of the impact of that. But one, just the one thing I want to mention um, is I, I had to stand back. I was alone in the bush where he, where he gassed himself in his car and I stood back to kick the window in and I was, I was entirely alone. So I thought, I, I can't wait. I saw him lying on the back seat. Car was still running. Um, and this is the day after. And I didn't know how long. So what the, And as I kicked in that window, I felt the Lord say to me, just as you're kicking in this window to bring reality to an unreal situation, know that I'm calling you to do life and to do ministry, and to lead church like that. God wants us to be passionate about authentic connection with Him. And when I was trying to make sense of my dad's uh, soul journey, I, I read in one of his journals, he said, in my younger years, I longed for someone to ask me how I really was, but no one ever did. So he said, I learned to wear a mask and long for death. God save us from mask wearing, hey? God save us. The Bible says sometimes behind a smiling face, he lies an aching heart. 
And I know here in New Zealand from some statistic that I read, the suicide and depression is a very strong prevalence eh, amongst in your society. Uh, you're the land of seas and greenery and everything, but like Zacchaeus, you know, you live in this place of plenty, but there could also be, uh, the heart is not always in that, in that same experience. Uh, and God wants to help us. So as I try to make sense of all that, uh, uh, some years later, because someone had said to me, you're going to go the same way as your dad, you just like him. And I thought, wow, that's not something I want to carry. What's happened here? Here we go. I was as mad as anything, and I, and I felt like uh, uh, that the Lord wanted me to, to deal with something here. And I was having a meal with some friends in Tennessee in the States, and, and, uh, and uh, I felt the Lord just called me to go and walk outside the restaurant down in the forest by the river. Huge Tennessee River. It's bigger than the Limpopo or Zambezi or anything in Africa. I don't know what rivers you've got here, but bigger than anything I'd seen. And the Lord said to me, um, put your hand in this water and stop this river. So I made sure nobody was watching. <laughs> and I put my hand in the water so the water didn't stop. It just flowed right past. And in that moment, I had one of those aha encounters with God. He said to me, just like there's nothing you can do to stop this river. There's nothing you can do to stop me loving you. It's my sovereign choice. In that moment, I understood what a reformed faith was all about. And I came to understand the sovereignty of God, that He chooses to love us. And His love for us is not contingent on our behavior or our response to Him. He loves us no matter what. And then He said, there's nothing you can do to make me love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. My love for you is my choice. And I began to pray from that time on, Lord, show me how to live from this revelation. And, and He has. And over the next, in particular, the next 10 or 12 years, he began to radically adjust my mindset, my attitudes, my relationships. Funny thing about it, after that river experience, everyone else around me became so much easier to get on with. <laughs> I, I was quite surprised how quickly everybody changed. <laughs> but I mean, that's our story for many of us, isn't it? Eh? And uh, yeah, so that, that whole, and, and you know, we, we can unpack more of those stories, but just to say, this deliverance, this set, being set free from the demonic is so important. And landing on that third one, the pastoral approach, um, there are steps that you can take, and I'm, I'm going to land with these. You have four steps that you can take personally that will help you to engage with a full deliverance experience, uh, rounding off with an authentic inner healing, where you can live in a land and a bay of plenty, wherever that is. I understand the place is called Bay of Plenty here somewhere. Yeah? And... Um, and you can be in this beautiful place, but it doesn't only have to be out there. It can be in your heart as well, in your relationships, in the way you do life. And you can be planted in the most arid place and yet still be prosperous within yourself because it's not dependent on the outward appearance but on the inward thing. So here are four things that will help us uh, towards pastoral deliverance. Remember, Pentecostal, evangelical, and pastoral. Ultimately, we must deal with the habitat these cockroaches are feeding on. And here's how we do it. Number one, and it's A, B, C, D, just to help you, because I know you Kiwis need some help with your memory, huh? And uh, you remind us that every time we play the hockey, to remind you you're playing rugby. So when you do the hockey, we reminded that you guys need the courage to play against the Springboks. <laughs> <coughs> one way of looking at it, exactly. So we train our guys to look at you without even smiling when you do that hockey and intimidate you back with that straight face. <laughs> It's not really working, right, Matt? It's not working. Anyway, 
The, the A is for acknowledge that you need deliverance. Acknowledge that your life is not what it should be. Hey? When you go to AA, hey, the first thing you've got to say is, Hi, my name is Dave and I'm an alcoholic. Hey? Or, Hi, my name is Matt and I'm a re- recovering religion addict or whatever you might be. <laughs> whatever your, your, your past addiction might have been. So that's the, the first thing, just the acknowledgement of it. Hey? Uh, acknowledge the need for change. Acknowledge the mess you're in. Uh, get, get to grips with that. The second thing is to, to be refathered by God, like David did. You know, he said in Psalm 51, in sin my mother conceived me, verse 5. In sin my mother conceived me. He acknowledges his sinful background. And then he says in verse 6, Lord, I've discovered now how you want truth in the inmost place. And, and, and let the truth of God, the refathering of God, and he's done that in my life. I want to say to you, it's the most precious thing. It's transformed everything about my life. I don't have the same anxieties and depressions that I used to have uh, in those early years where I was carrying over a legacy of four generations. Uh, and when it comes at me now, I manage it so much differently. Um, and it's not like we're living free of all these things, but we now have tools to, to, to handle it. We can go to war on these things, and we, we're able to walk victoriously. So be refathered by God. And, and um, <clears throat> like I said, it's David doing that himself. Eh? Um, like Paul, when I... When I was a child, I spoke like a child, etc. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I allowed God to refather me into spiritual manhood or womanhood. So that's the second thing, is to be refathered. And that's a process. In my case, it was a number of years. I, I journaled, I agonized, I, I, I went on prayer retreats. I had people pray with me. And, uh, times alone with God, times of doing battle. But slowly but surely, day after day, Month after month, God began to put me in a whole new place, and it has transformed my life. It's been an amazing adventure. C would be for community. Find some safe friends with whom you can, you can do this journey. Don't do it alone. Discover the Ubuntu of your Christian faith, that God's put you with others, and, and treasure your friendships, safe people. Treasure your friendships. You know, I'll, I'll just confess something to you. I've had a long-running nightmare that one day I'd find myself standing up and preaching in front of a church like this with nothing but my speedo on. <laughs> I think it's more of a nightmare for the people, but, uh, <laughs> but I, as I've understood what, why this thing recurs, is because the Lord is saying, you know, He wants our vulnerability. And our vulnerability often has to fly in the face of the accusation of shame. But when we are vulnerable in a safe place, Growth becomes possible. Find some people. 1 John 1 says, hey, if we confess our faults one to another and we pray for another, we'll be healed, James 5, 16. But when we confess, uh, there's a cleansing that happens and a release from all that was on us and we begin to walk with new freedom. So find some, and that's why we gather together. That's why you have these, what you call them, life groups here. You need people you can gather with, people who can hear you out and you can wear your speedo with, hey, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. Put on your speedos, Kiwis. <laughs> All right. And then uh, I want to say that the, the fourth one, the D, is do heroic steps. Become a hero in your own life. Do something different. You can't do this, the same thing in the same way and expect a different result. That's insanity. Do something differently. Uh, make some changes. Uh, Daniel 11.32 says, people who know their God will be strong and do exploits. So we need to embrace it. Martin Luther King said, 
The ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of convenience, but where they stand in moments of challenge, moments of great crisis and of controversy. And there's a controversy in your life. And God wants you to stand heroically for doing life differently. Not only individually, but in your marriage, in your family, break the patterns of the past, break the patterns of your society and the culture, uh, and, and stand for a kingdom value and a kingdom culture, uh, and do church in a way that serves the kingdom, not the uh, preferences of man. And sometimes that means doing it quite radically, being countercultural, because the kingdom is actually a community that is heaven-bound and already is welcoming the presence of the future. And we are living as a colony of heaven on earth. We're all actually expats, every one of us. We're, we're, we're heaven, heavenly citizens, but living in these strange islands called earth. And God wants us to, to do life differently so that we live here while we belong there. I pray that God will help us to do that. That help us in this church and in all the vineyards around the world and the churches that the vineyard is, is being used by God to help bring renewal to and, 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 and help to. Uh, and remember this, the reason we exist is to serve the kingdom of God. And if we keep that in focus, we're going to be different. And the world will know there is hope because we demonstrate that. We live it out. And we, uh, we're not bound by the same old, same old. I'll close with this. John, John Carlos Ortiz from South America taught us many years ago what we need to do as we become believers is to have our brains taken out, scrubbed in detergent, brushed, and put back the other way. <laughs> we need to have a complete mind renewal if we're going to live the free life, uh, seated, clothed, and in our right mind.